Hello, I'm Ben, and this is my podcast where I share interviews, tips, and ideas to help you build a better marketing strategy. Now, for this episode, I thought it would be great to revisit a conversation I had with Sarah Dixon from the Contract Store on what details and documents we need to have on our websites to make sure we don't fall foul of the law. Now, we cover all the fun stuff from e-commerce terms and conditions to GDPR. Enjoy. There are lots of things that need to be in place on a website. Now, I'm, I'm aware of a few of them, like making sure the, the legal name needs to be on the website somewhere, that maybe you've got some kind of terms and conditions. Certainly with GDPR, that changed things a little bit. But I'm a little woolly as to exactly what should be on there. So I'm hoping you can shed light on this. So there are different regulations that cover this, and that's why it gets messy and woolly and confusing. On the contracts or website, the document called Website and Email Legal Notices, that kind of summarises it. And each document comes with a lot of explanatory notes. So you'll find a lot of information if you scroll down the product. Okay, so let's go and have a look at that. I'll, I'll find that on my screen. So we can have a look at that. And basically, like you've just mentioned, you do have to put your company name where it's registered. And this covers sole traders as well as um, like limited companies, a registered office address. So you have to have some kind of physical address, some kind of email contact so that people can contact you mm-hmm. and uh, basically who you are, <clears throat> excuse me. And so if you're a charity or, or a CIC or anything like that, you still need to put those pieces of uh, information up publicly so that people can recognize you are. It's kind of the equivalent of a letterhead, you know, yeah. that in the past you would have to put certain information about your business just so that people know who they're dealing with. That's the point. Do you have to put them on every page or just one page on the site? How clear do they need no, to be? They can just be on the about page, something like that. Um, but very commonly people will pop it into the footer so that it's readily, readily available across the whole site. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people either just forget or don't really know how much to put in and they might put something a little sketchy and they might not make an email address available because that's um, then subject to getting collected by spam bots. So it's kind of annoying to have to do that. You can put it in an image or write it out as an an AT instead of um, putting the at sign and all that. So there are ways around, which I'm sure Ben and other, your web developer will be able to advise you. Technically, you are are meant to put contact information. Mm. Um, You have to put a cell phone number because I see there's a lot of places maybe they're a small store they're running it on the side and they don't have a telephone number on there is that important or it just has to be some sort of contact detail basically under the electronic commerce regulations you have to have your business name a geographical address Mm -hmm. and your email address okay don't have to put a phone number so this is also interesting of how the legislation is trying to cope with the internet and what people just are doing on the internet so the legislation is like trying to keep up with how people (laughs) are behaving in this new world. So sometimes the law and the internet kind of don't quite make sense together. I know because it became quite difficult if you're you're running a store on the side. I know we've got a couple of clients who do this and they're working from home, but they don't really want to share their home address on there, but they have to put the the address. Yeah, and that can be difficult. Is there any way around that? Is there a way that you can buy PO address on there or another? If you put a PO box number or if you register your company in a different location, you might be able to do it through a co-working space possibly. You know, there are other ways it could be that you work with your web developer and a bit like they, they might host your site for you. They might also be willing to host your kind of official address. Oh, there's a um, money making opportunity. <laughs> well, I think possibly. And, and you know, there are, we need to be a little maybe imaginative. But basically, the point is that the, the public need to be able to see where you are, who, who you are. Yeah. So if you are at home, you could put, possibly put like the street name, but you don't put the full I'm not sure. I mean, that is a really tricky one, actually. Make sure that you're complying to the point of having a, a specific address. You are going to have to get registered with some kind of official post postal location. But I do get the unease with putting some of that stuff out there. Like mm. I said, 
them in the email as well. It's that's probably the reason a lot of people don't do it automatically, even even if they know they're meant to, and a lot of people don't even know that. So um obviously once you start trading online, then all this stuff really does have to get quite serious and you must do it. Yeah. So as an example there, um let well let's take two two examples and we'll work 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 through them. So we've got just a regular business, they've got these basic details on their website. What about yeah. terms and conditions? Is that something that people need to have on their website, their terms of trade? It depends on the business. So if you're trading online and selling from your website, yes, you must put uh, quite a lot of information about how you're going to give refunds, you know, what are the delivery times and prices and all this kind of stuff. But if you are not trading directly from your website, you can deal with your terms and conditions more privately by email. So after somebody's got in touch with you and you ent- you're entering into that agreement with them, you can you can do it offline okay it could be just useful to do that so that people can check that out before they start in a relationship with you and they've got a clarity around that it's also saves a bit of time like you can just send them the link to your website yeah, exactly conditions instead of having to bespoke like send a custom email each time so it's kind of yeah you don't have to put them up unless you are trading from your site now with privacy that's slightly different so anything where you're collecting user data um such as forms or cookies I mean, that is much more strict now with GDPR. What do we have to put in? What do we have to make sure we're doing there? Well, the first step actually is to do a kind of audit of what data you're collecting. And when you collect data about people, and this is this is referring specifically to personally identifiable data. So mm. people's names, addresses, email and phone. And it could expand into healthcare and all sorts of other scenarios, but it identifies that person in some way. Then you need to basically justify why you're collecting it, where you're storing it, how well you're looking after it and how can you cope with it if somebody says they want to be deleted off your systems so those are the responsibilities you have if you start storing information about people mm-hmm. and this is good for the individual because it means we can now ask facebook to completely erase all our data which we couldn't do before and you would you would think that they would do that as well although there's been a lot of um controversy no. <laughs> they haven't been doing that it's very tricky because they store the information they remove it publicly but they don't necessarily delete it off their actual computers and then you've got with larger companies you know many layers of backup going on yeah so if you've got several layers of backup you have to factor that into your data handling you might think i've deleted it from the front layer but the backup from three months ago is still storing it yeah that's true we've we've got a couple of clients um with with uh, maybe an e-commerce website well uh, let's say they've got a daily backup that that rolls over 30 days so mm. um you're going to have to wait for 30 days for that personal detail to to roll out they do allow some time for you to deal with the data yeah. so you can say in your policy like w- within 30 days or 60 days we will make sure it's deleted so you don't have to do it instantly but you do have to be able to identify where that data is and make sure it can be deleted or changed or moved to another provider yeah um when people are confronted with gdpr I would say start with an audit. So figure out what data you're collecting, make a little chart and um, and write down where it's stored. And then at least you've shown that you've started the process. So if there was a problem, you can say, well, I did do an audit and, you know, I'm, an, I'm, I'm trying to sort this out. It is a lot of kind of admin, basically. And again, on Contract Store, there's a free like audit form. You can download a, a spreadsheet and use that as your ah, guideline. Let me see if I can find that. In there, there is a free mini course if you <laughs> need to seriously and you can follow some emails which will take you through the whole process i will pop that in later yeah if you have a look there the second item the data collection table so if you if you get hold of that it's talked about in the course actually and it shows you how to fill it in but it's pretty it's fairly Mm self-explanatory you 
you just need to show willing that you are starting to think about what data. The other point to make with small businesses is that you're probably using something like ConvertKit or MailChimp or those kind of email mm. handlers. You might be using PayPal or Stripe. You've got all these turn of third party softwares that are handling data on your behalf. So in your policy, you don't have to give detailed explanations of what MailChimp is doing with their email address. You just say, I'm using MailChimp. Here's the link to their terms. Right. So you just need to be transparent about the data systems that you're using. And then you can let the user decide if they're okay with you using MailChimp to store their stuff. And that means it's not on your system. You have a bit less responsibility there. You're handing it over to MailChimp. Yeah, something we do on that front is to just mention that, I mean, it's in our uh, privacy policies, but to mention that what software we're using. So I think, for example, in our sign up for our newsletter, we've got a little bit of text at the bottom, which uh, says that you should know that we use Campaign Monitor to deliver the newsletter and gather statistics. So we're just telling exactly. them upfront, not in the policy, uh, well, it's in the policy, but it's upfront yeah. exactly what we're doing with that data at that time and, and why we need it. I mean, it helps improve the newsletter. It is true. We do use it for that because we like to know what people are clicking on, what they're interested in reading. I think it's useful for people to see the data is going. I personally find it just interesting to see what data processing companies are using. That's the um, really good practice you've got there because you've made it really clear and easy for people to see. The whole point of this legislation is to make us have more control yeah. over how our information is used by other people, particularly commercial companies. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's actually a kind of, it is a bit of a chore, but it's also got an upside, which is that we have a little more consciousness about what we're getting involved in when we go on the internet. Yeah, and I, I only think it's a chore in so much that it's a change to our normal practice. I think once it's baked in, you start thinking like that. And that's the point, isn't it? That they get people to think like that whenever you're putting location out or you're collecting data that you start thinking about it from the, your customer or potential customer's point of view or any in fact anyone who's interacting with it we've come across something i mean related to gdpr really we across all our clients we implemented uh, a, a new cookie policy which blocked google analytics by default so if they visited the site for the first time it would block google analytics mm -hmm. so so that's a, a first page visit would not be tracked if they then right. viewed the page uh, viewed a second page or continue to to scroll the page then it would pa passively uh, agree to that cookie policy which is allowed in in the ico especially for something that isn't tracking them personally with uh, personal identifiable information Exactly. If it's not personally identifiable, then it's fine. It's not GDPR. Yes. However, we came across uh, an odd issue, which I didn't realize until later. As we started looking at our, our clients' statistics, we noticed a lot of direct traffic. Direct traffic was really high, high and organic. And I thought, that's that's just odd. Looking into it, and it makes sense now, what's happening is you're getting visits coming in. And if they're new visits, they come to the site and all cookies are blocked yeah. until it refreshes. And then it, all referral data has been abandoned and it's refreshing yeah. on that page and it looks like they've just come to your page directly and it's like oh it's so frustrating because you can only tell the source of people if they've already visited your website which is not what you want i need to look at implementing something where it just allows or see how how if we can allow google to go through uh, google analytics to be flagged for that first time as long as it's not doing any advertising uh, demographic information or collecting any any personal identification mm -hmm. in any way so until we we can really restrict that down i don't want to change it but it's really frustrating because it affects it affects lots of different things anyway back to uh, uh, back to uh, everything else we need so we were talking about personal information is there anything else really that we need to make sure is on a website yeah you have to have the privacy policy up and there is a little thing about like if you're registered with any professional bodies so that kind of goes with the whole thing of who you are mm -hmm. 
how can people trace you if they've got a problem or whatever mm -hmm. to be a trackable real identifiable company you do have to do all this cookie notice stuff now because of the gdpr so people need to know that you're collecting data um but yeah that pretty much covers it the optional areas are things like a copyright notice mm -hmm. your terms and conditions you must share if you're trading off your website so there's that does get quite complicated in some ways usually fairly standard and if you use a platform like shopify they're all built in yeah but you still or etsy or anything like that so but you still have to go through and make sure that you you actually can comply with those and tweak them if your terms are different that's right yeah you can't just rely on what they've said because it may not be exactly your practice yeah. exactly and you might choose to change it or you might have a product that doesn't fall into the standard categories mm. or something like that yeah you if you're trading online you really must start to take this quite seriously and, and really look through the, the nitty-gritty of those terms and make sure that they're available to people and i know when we've talked um, offline before that you've got all these standard uh, policies that can be bought and downloaded on your website here but what if you need to have have them customized or, or just checked over while you've made it as simple as possible to read through and understand how do i know that it actually reflects my business yeah so you can bring your document to contract store for a checking service you can also take it to any lawyer and just say this is the basic that i'm working with can you just check it for me the, they're written in a relatively unlegal language very straightforward as possible while still being you know legally correct generally you should be able to see in there yourself mm -hmm. if it is to match your circumstances and then if you're not sure then absolutely come back to contract store or go and talk to a lawyer and make sure that you are really happy that you've not left anything or put anything slightly off that isn't really right for you but generally by reading it you'll you'll get a really good sense of whether this is a good fit or not and you can see that a lot of detailed notes before you buy it as well so you can even do that before you even download it's a shame that not all um, people do this I, I heard in the news about um was it a shipping contract where they they're taking the terms and conditions from yeah i'm guessing is it a pizza store or something like that uh, they're just taking it from somewhere else which did not apply to their particular business and they just yeah they just copied and pasted and loads of people copy and paste their terms from somewhere else yeah. it's not great i mean that was a really good example of a very poor practice they didn't even bother to check that it was a pizza company and they should remove those words yeah exactly you'd imagine if someone painted it somewhere no. you'd check through it <laughs> What it boils down to is you're writing out how you're going to do business, what commitments you make to your customers, what they are expected to do in return, pay you, yeah. maybe on time, things like that. It's just a way of writing down what it is you both think is going on. So yeah, in theory, you can just copy and paste and then tweak and make it so. But if you get a well-written one that's made deliberately generic so that you fill in the details it's just going to save you hassle it's going to be smoother and cleaner and nicer and it really isn't a big investment just to get that chore kind of accelerated forward I do recommend to my clients to do this properly because it's like setting up your hosting and you just want to get all the groundwork really good and solid and you don't want to be leaving yourself exposed to problems because the, the ultimate outcome is you get sued or you have some kind of dispute that drains your business yeah so to avoid that have really decent terms and make them available and you are protecting your business basically yeah and and they're not they're not expensive I'm, i mean uh, you can get packs on your site but usually they range about 20 to 30 pounds per document yeah so it's, it's not a huge deal i i know that a solicitor's going to charge you um 
I, I'm guessing about a thousand pounds, maybe slightly under that for some basic terms and conditions. And, and as uh, I think we were speaking before about this, they're going to be having a pro forma document that they'll work from anyway. So they'll take that off the shelf, so to speak, and they will run through it and customize it for you. So you're paying for their, obviously looking over their expertise in it, but effectively they're doing the same thing. So this is a good way to, to get up to speed first. If you found this podcast interesting, you might like My Marketing Club. You can join for free to receive regular tips and advice so you can become more effective in your marketing. Pro members get access to my live webinars every month along with all the previous webinars I've made. There's even a podcast version you can listen to while you're walking the dog. Find out more by visiting ratherinventive.com. That's ratherinventive.com.